Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and uh, we are glad to join y'all um, for for another week uh, of fun and exciting content via the Greatest Grizzly Tournament. And uh, I am glad to uh, very happy to welcome a uh, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Molinax, with us uh, on this episode. How are you today, Joe? I'm doing well, Sean. I appreciate you and the work you and Justin and everybody else has done with the the Greatest Grizzly Tournament. Obviously. Uh, it's been a slowdown these last few weeks with the season being suspended and all the craziness going on in the world. So this has been a welcome distraction and a great addition uh, to grizzlybearblues.com. So thank you guys for the work you're doing. I've enjoyed following it. It's been really cool to see it kind of unfold, and, and people have really taken it, taken it to the next level in terms of their interaction with it, which is really neat. Well, we appreciate your support as always, and thank you for the kind words. And yeah, you know, that, that was the idea behind it was, you know, it's a discussion that a lot of people have. And, you know, with this year featuring, you know, two potentially the best natural talents, um, you know, that have played for the Grizzlies, you know, playing together, you know, for the first time in Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, um, you know, it, it seemed like a good time to do it. And, and Joe, that's that's where we'll, we will start. You know, we're to the Elite Eight, which we'll get to in a moment. But, you know, kind of wanted to make a top 10 out of this. And, you know, I put a couple of polls up there, me and Justin did through, um, you know, the, the site, just for the, all the, in two groups of four from the losers of the round of 16, it looks like Jaron and Jaw are going to come together to form that list of 10. Seems pretty symbolic. It, it, it kind of a pretty nice way to wrap up the top 10. But my main question to you is this, right now they're ninth and 10th. Thought Jaw may have an upset potential versus Mark that didn't come to fruition, but what do you think about them being ninth and tenth on that greatest Grizzlies list? And when could we start to see them move up in the future? Well, I, I guess the first thing I would say, and obviously you know this, Sean, my, my perspective of the Grizzlies is maybe a little bit different than other folks that follow the team because, you know, I lived in Memphis for several years, but I'm not from Memphis originally. I came to the city and then I left and I don't live there anymore and I still run the site and all that stuff. Um it's kind of sad, I guess, that, that a guy who has only played 60 or so games uh, is number nine or 10 on the list of the greatest Grizzlies in the history of the franchise. I do think perspective is necessary in terms of understanding that, you know, uh, that there is a uh, there, there is a bias, a recency bias. And this is all fan vote. You know, we did the greatest Grizzlies of the decade last year and and it was vote from the media and other members of the blog and that sort of thing. So, um and even then, you know, Jaron and Ja obviously got votes. So uh, I do think that there's some recency bias there. There's some guys that maybe if you reflected back on their time as Grizzlies, they've done more to this point. But that at the same time, in fairness to fans, when you're in a poll with Jamichael Green or Courtney Lee or Mike Bibby or Jason Williams and John Morant and you're doing the things that John Morant is doing as a rookie, as a rookie or the things that Jaron Jackson Jr. has done in his sophomore season in terms of his abilities, uh, as a shooter and as a defensive player, I uh, I don't really think that you can fault them too much. But I do think it's 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 a, it's a sign that the Grizzlies haven't had much long term success. You know, beyond obviously the most recent run of the grit and grind era, uh, and they also haven't had a, a real run where they've been able to be true title contenders. And of course, they're still a relatively new franchise in the grand scheme of the entire. Thing. I do think all of that kind of comes into play here. Now, as far as the second part of your question, it can happen pretty quickly. If you look at the guys that are in front of them, I believe it's Shane Battier is one, you know, other guys that are in eight, seven, six positions. 
spoiler alert, this is probably going to come down to the core four in your final four that's eventually going to happen. I don't see the these two guys, Jaron and Ja, passing them anytime soon. I think Tony might be the first one that could maybe be surpassed, but it's going to take several years. It's going to take a couple of playoff runs. Folks that experienced that grit and grind era live and in person know how special it was, how organic and real it was. You know, and it sounds silly to say when it comes to sports and obviously the times that we're going through, but, you know, real emotion was felt and connection uh, between that team and that city of Memphis. So I think it'll take a lot for them to get past those top four guys. But if Jaron and Jaw continue on their current trajectory, I could see them being number five and six, probably within the next, you know, two to three years, depending on how this rebuild progresses. And obviously it's going pretty well right now. Agree completely. And it comes down to production versus projection. And that's all really that, you know, um, John Jaron have is his projection at this point. But, you know, the, just the style of play, the production, the quality of play, you know, there's also a chance that we may have, you know, John Jaron could be a combination together that we've not seen before. We saw Mike and Mark, but could John Jaron potentially be better than them? You know, that's something that's a conversation for another time, but it's exciting to know that the potential is at least there. So, you know, skipping past that part and getting into the tournament. So tomorrow on Monday, we're looking at the first uh, four of the Elite Eight, and that's Zach Randolph versus Rudy Gay, and Mark Gasol versus Mike, or excuse me, and Tony Allen versus Pal Gasol. Now, Zach and Rudy, you know, I, I think that kind of speaks for itself. But the Tony Pal Gasol um, matchup, I, I had them as four and five in my overall rankings. Me and Justin did uh, for the tournament. I think that Tony's going to win, but I could make a case for Powell to beat him just in terms of on-court production, but I know there's more than that. Your thoughts on that, on those matchups, uh, Zach and Rudy, and then, you know, uh, specifically Tony and, and Powell and how you really think they match up and who do you think advances? Well, my first thought is you guys bracketed this very well because this is uh, these are some interesting matchups, especially you know, Zach versus Rudy, because that, that was a very real question, you know, back in 2012 before Rudy Gay was traded, you know, was this going to be the a continuation with Zach Randolph or were you going to move forward with Rudy Gay? It, it kind of became the perception and it became reality that those two guys couldn't coexist any longer and you had to kind of make a choice. And I was team Rudy at the time and I was wrong uh, because I felt that Rudy Gay was younger he was more of a model of what the modern NBA was going towards and was going to be. Uh, so I wanted Rudy, and I thought that they could maximize value for Zach, who was a little bit more limited in terms of what he was able to bring. And again, I stress, I was wrong on that take. Uh, Zach Randolph was the choice, and, and that was an important one that they that they got right, I think. But at the same time, um, it's just fascinating that that has kind of played itself out, and that'll be a choice. You're exactly right. Zach's going to run away with that one. Tony versus Pal, it it is a larger context of or question, I guess, of how you perceive these types of polls. Do you yep. value connection to the city? Do you value connection to the franchise and how all that works, or do you value production? Uh, in terms of overall production, Pal Gasol is probably the third or fourth greatest Grizzly uh, behind you know Mark and Zach and maybe Mike in terms of his overall productivity while he was in Memphis. Obviously, he went on to the Lakers and, and bigger and better things in terms of team success with Kobe Bryant and, and those great Laker teams. But I think in Memphis, you have to give Pal the credit that he deserves in terms of being the guy that was the face of the franchise during that first run of playoff success. 
obviously it didn't result in any, in any playoff victories, but it did allow for them to no longer be viewed as the doormat that the franchise had been at times throughout their history. So I think that it should be closer than it's going to be. Uh, people love Tony Allen, especially on Grizz Twitter. And I think that his personality, his connection to the city, the fact he's still very active in the city and with the organization is going to help him tremendously in this. So I think it's going to be closer than perhaps it should be. I do think Tony Allen should win because, again, it comes down to your subjective definition of what it means to be the greatest Grizzly. Was was Pau Gasol a better basketball player than Tony Allen? Absolutely. I don't know anyone who could logically argue that Tony Allen was a better basketball player than Pau Gasol. But was Tony Allen a better Memphis Grizzly than Marcus or Pau Gasol? Excuse me. Yes, I think you can definitely make the argument that Tony Allen, as part of being a Memphis Grizzly, uh, was superior in that way to Pau. And that's the thing that I'll say is that, you know, I, I'm someone who probably myself does trend more towards the statistical analysis or the on-court production when it comes to the discussion. But what makes me choose Tony over Powell, even though I, I feel that Powell is underrated in how people view him, you know, Tony for his on-court production, Powell was the better basketball player. But Tony, his involvement, when he was going good and when we were in the playoffs – when he was playing well, the Grizzlies had their best chances, in my opinion, to pull off the upset or move forward. There was, I forget what year it was, but it was the series in which we missed him due to the hamstring injury. I think we were coming back with Golden State, where his he him not being on the court made a huge difference. And so um, I do think that it's it's legitimate that, that uh, Tony and Zach should move forward. Um, which brings us to Tuesday. Uh, you know, we've got Mark uh, Gasol. Mike Miller, and then I'm also, we've got, you know, Tony Allen and Shane Battier. Now, in my opinion, you know, this is, you, you could easily see both of these polls being 80%. But do you feel that, you know, when it comes to Mike Miller and Shane Battier, have you felt that they have gotten the respect or, or the recognition that they deserved during this poll? And do you think one might be closer than we might expect um, in the voting? I, I think that Shane Battier has gotten a lot of respect uh, in terms of what he was in terms of being the first draft pick of the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, the way that he came back and was part of that playoff run, uh, that very first one at the beginning of grit and grind. You know, there, there are pieces to Battier's story that are pretty fitting in terms of what Memphis has become and in terms of the history of the franchise. So I think that he has, excuse me, that he's gotten the respect that he deserves in a lot of ways, uh, but he's not Mike Conley, right? And I don't think that Battier will be in that conversation at all when it comes to him versus Mike. You know, it's going to play out that Conley's going to be the guy. Uh, but again, I think this will, in terms of it's interesting because, you know, Shane Battier has the personality issue. Again, similar to Powell. You know, obviously yeah. Mike is also a better basketball player than Shane. But Pau Gasol kind of was perceived as someone that wanted to leave Memphis, and I think that's going to hurt him. You know, Shane has kind of a hit-or-miss uh, perception within Memphis himself in terms of the way that he carried himself when he was here. And I don't think anybody would say he's a bad guy, but you can just kind of tell that he wasn't a Memphis dude, if that makes sense. He didn't want yeah. to be like a Tony Allen or a Zach Randolph and, and kind of invest himself in the city and be there long-term. And, and again, if it's about being the greatest Memphis Grizzly, it, it takes a, a lot of things into account to me. It's not just playing on the court. It's also you know, the way that you interacted with the community. So Shane, you know, obviously, again, not the player that Mike Conley was while he was in Memphis. So I think Mike was running away in that way. 
but also in terms of the personality, Mike was beloved in the city, sane, not so much. Uh, even the folks that did love him, you know, there's certainly not as many as the almost unanimous love for Mike. So I do think it'll play out that way, and and you'll see Mike moving on pretty easily. Same thing with Gasol and Mike Miller. Uh, it could be a little bit closer than the Conley-Battier matchup. But again, if you're looking at a body of work in terms of awards and all-star games and things like that, Marc Gasol was my choice for the greatest Grizzly of the past decade, the best player. That was my perception of it. Uh, Zach obviously won when we did that countdown back last year, but uh, Mark was my vote for number one. And I don't see Mike Miller, even though he's obviously a coach with the Memphis Tigers and, and all the things he has a sports bar, the Let It Fly sports bar and all that stuff. Uh, I think Mike may have a more of a current connection with the city than Mark, but what Mark did during his time here, the fact he had the previous connection, obviously uh, going to high school there in Memphis, being a part of the city because of Powell being there, essentially growing up in the city and then becoming a, a key cog of that great Grizzlies grit and grind run. Uh, I think Mark and Mike will both win, but I do think Mark's race, uh, his his up, uh, matchup with Miller probably will be a little bit closer than Conley's uh, with Battier. And before we get to the final four, which obviously is the matchup of the core four, as we, you know, thought that would kind of play out, you know, looking at the four um, individuals who are in the Elite Eight, but obviously will not move on based off, you know, what we've discussed, you know, Mike Miller, Pau Gasol, Shane Battier, Rudy Gay. Personally, if you're going to go nine and 10, I imagine it'll probably be Jaron at 10, Jaw at nine. And then, Joe, I would put it um, at eight. Battier, seven Rudy Gay, six Mike Miller, and then um, five Pau Gasol. Kind of how would you rank the, the the four guys who will more than likely not be moving on for, from five to eight? Um, I would probably go Pau five and Rudy six. I okay. think that's fair. You know, Pau five, Rudy six, and you can maybe argue back and forth. To me, you have to give some value to what Pau did in terms of getting the team to the playoffs, even though like I mentioned before, it wasn't as successful as I'm sure they would have liked it. Uh, that was the beginning of them kind of becoming more relevant on a national scale. And Pau Gasol was the key cog to that. So it didn't end well, but I think Pau probably has to be five. And then I would put Rudy Gay six. I'd probably put uh, Shane Battier seventh and Mike Miller eighth. But I'm not married to that at all. You could probably argue uh, for Battier or Miller at seven, and I would listen to you. So. I think I would go uh, Pau, Rudy, uh, Battier, and then Mike Miller. But at the same time, part of my Battier love is that I was there. Uh, the, the playoff run, the very first one that Shane, or the, the first one of grit and grind, I should say, that Shane was traded back for, you know, that's when I kind of fell in love with the team. And, um, you know, I have an affinity for Shane Battier. You could probably you could probably sway me to, to put Miller 7 and Battier 8, but – I think Powell probably has to be five, and then that would make Rudy six by extension. I think the core four and then Powell and Rudy are the six best Grizzlies to this point. No question about it. I think there's a pretty substantial drop-off from six to seven. Completely makes sense. I'd put Mike six, I guess, for kind of Tony Allen reasons. It seems like Memphis loves him. He's stuck around, things like that. But that's why you're looking at the greatest Grizzly. There's different ways to look at it. I do agree with you, though, that talent-wise and, you know, on the court performance-wise, um, you know, it's it's the core four, uh, Powell and, and Rudy, uh, when it comes to their own court production and then, you know, everybody else. So 
getting into the final four. Now we're getting into, you know, some where emotions may come into play. Uh, you've got Zach and Tony, and then you've got Mark and Mike. So the approach uh, from you, Joe, that I kind of want to get is how would you go and how do you feel it would go? And just a few thoughts on each matchup. We'll start with Tony and Zach first. Again, I like the way that it's bracketed because I, I think that if you had Tony and Zach on opposite ends of the bracket, they would probably wind up in the finals against each other, and they shouldn't. And the reason I say that is uh, the way that you have it ranked, at least the way that it plays out here, is Zach is probably the number one overall seed, and Tony's probably the number four overall seed. And right. I think that's fair because Zach, you could easily argue, and again, on our list of the greatest players of the decade, Zach Randolph won. Uh, and deservedly so, um, Tony Allen was fourth. And I think that that makes total sense because of on-court production. You know, when you marry the two ideas, the the community outreach, the personalities meshing with the city, uh, the play on the floor, Zach is the one seed and Tony is the four. And I think that that's very fair to say. And I think Tony is going to get some love in this. I think he's going to get some votes. But I like that these two are going against each other because you put Tony against the Mark or a Mike. And because the way things ended with Mark and Mike, there might be, again, some recency bias against those guys voting for Tony Allen instead of two superior players in Mark Gasol and Mike Conley. So I think that it's, it's an acknowledgement of T.A. and what he was to the city. I think that's important. But at the same time, you, you have Zach Randolph in the place to knock off Tony Allen. It should be pretty handily, and I think it will be. I'll say, you know, 70s to, to 30s potentially, or maybe even a little more than that. Uh, Zach will, will win that right, win that race and head to the finals. And that's kind of what I, uh, me and Justin had talked about when we put the, the first four together. We kind of, we ranked them in terms of off the court impact and on the court production. And, and, and personally, I had Mark, then Zach, then Mike, then Tony on the court. Off the court, I had Tony, Zach, Mike, then Mark. And so... Uh, that's why I think that the rankings came together as they did and why Zach deserved number one. And then Mark being, in my opinion, I think you share this, the, the best player in Grizzlies history. Um, I think that allowed for him to be number two. So that was kind of the reasoning behind, you know, the seedings of the core four. And, you know, with that being said, I agree with you. I think that Zach probably, there's a wider margin than 60-40. I say 65-35 in Zach's favor, but it could be a lot closer in the, other, in the other semifinal matchup, you know, Mark and Mike. Now, obviously, you know, this is a – you could spend a whole podcast talking about this conversation, but, again, Joe, we'll, we'll kind of put you on the spot here. How would you vote, and how do you feel the vote will go when it comes to Mark and Mike? It should be Mark Gasol. Uh, I think it will be close. I don't personally think it is that close because, again, we – the validity of the all-star game has been debated in Memphis for a decade now. Uh, but Marcus Gasol is a multiple time all-star. Mike Conley isn't Marcus Gasol is a defensive player of the year. Mike Conley has never won that type of an accolade. I think he was second team, all defensive team one year. And that was it. You know, Marcus Gasol, you built an entire scheme around defensively. Mike, especially David Fisdale's years. And, and, you know, the last year before Mike was traded, you know, post Gasol trade, and then obviously the, the playoff run was a series against the Spurs where he and Kawhi Leonard kind of went blow for blow in that last breath of grit and grind. Um, you know, Mike, obviously there were periods where he was the best player on the team, but it wasn't near the amount of time that Mark was the best player on the team. And 
while it was 1A and 1B, Mark was always 1A, or almost always 1A, I should say. So I think that it should be Mark Gasol. I think that it should be, you know, a 60-40 kind of thing. I think that you're exactly right. Even though Mark was very active in St. Jude, just like Pal was uh, and still is, uh, you know, Mark was a active Memphian too. But I do think that Mike gets that benefit of the doubt more than Mark does because of the personality. You know, Mike had a much more likable personality. Uh, he had that underdog story, not because of where he was drafted, but because there was a period in time where people wanted him traded. They wanted him gone. You know, Kyle Lowry versus Mike Conley was a very real question. They chose Conley, and, and the rest is history. And it worked out for both guys, I would argue. Uh, but I, I do believe that it's going to be Mark. I think that it's going to be the closer of the two for sure. Uh, it's not a lock. I, I could easily see Mike Conley beating Marc Gasol. I don't think he should, but I could see it happening. So I think Mark will win. He would be he will be my vote when I vote when the polls go live, uh, but I, I don't think it's a lock by any stretch that Marcus All waltzes into the finals. I think that's going to be a battle there uh, the entire length of the poll. Again, agree completely. And, and I'll be honest with you. I said last week I thought that that I thought Jaw was going to pull the upset. I, I thought he was. You made the comment on Twitter though when the, when the voting was 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 happening that day. You said you, you you know you were proud of the Memphis fan base, and I agree with it. You know, it was nice to see them. You know, ha- I'm not saying they're unrealistic, but it, the appreciation for Mark that it sometimes could be lacking. It seems uh, was definitely there, and and that was nice to see. Um, I think it's going to be very close. I, I could see it being 50-50. Um, I, I am voting for Mark as well. I think it's the more valid matchup with Zach. But if Conley goes, you know that that you know I'm not going to be disappointed. There's no disappointing um, avenue in my opinion either way. But I, I do see Mark with his handed handily as he uh, got past uh, Jaw. I think that he emerges. And so you know basically that's the setup that we've got for um, uh, Thursday. Uh, Joe, so we've got Zach Randolph and we've got Mark Gasol. Um, your thoughts and, and you know, what if you were talking with someone who was having a hard time making this decision, what would you point out about both players to really think about? And, and what would be your deciding factor for the player that you think will win? Well, my argument for Mark, and Mark would once again get my vote, is, again, it comes down to how you define greatest. If you look at greatest in terms of combining play on the court and the, the community impact, like I said, the work he did with St. Jude, the fact he grew up in Memphis, uh, the younger brother of Pau Gasol, uh, to me, that means something. And you add that to the accolades. You add that to the fact that the entire scheme was built for Marc Gasol uh, defensively. And when Memphis was at its peak, grittiest and grindiest, uh, it, it was in large part because of what Marcus Gasol was able to do defensively. I do believe that you have to acknowledge that and say, okay, he is the best player. He had that community connection. He gets my vote. But I, again, it's similar to our list that we came out with last year uh, in that it's the only time, you know, obviously when Michael Jordan gets the basketball, when Steph Curry shoots a three, you know, you hear the crowd get excited. They want to see what's going to happen. Um, I had never heard that for a low post player until I watched Zach Randolph play live. Um, and I didn't get a chance to watch Hakeem Olajuwon or Patrick Ewing or those types of guys. Uh, I didn't see Shaq live as much as I wanted to. The tickets were always too expensive. Um, 
So it's possible that those guys got the same reaction. The first time I ever experienced it live was Zach Randolph, and that was true in Memphis. You know, he was must-watch in the most Memphis way because he wasn't flashy. He wasn't somebody that was going to, you know, do a highlight dunk like Jaw might do. That's one of the reasons people love Jaw. He's just so different from what the, the Grizzlies fan base is used to. You know, we, we, people would get hyped up for a Zebo isolation on the block, you know, a jab step pull away jumper that would go in. You know, people would get amped for that during the peak of grit and grind. And it wasn't because Zach Randolph was, you know, the best player on the planet because he never was. It was because people genuinely wanted to see Zach succeed, not just because he was a member of the Memphis Grizzlies and they wanted their team to win, but because they loved Zach. And I do believe that in this particular poll, in this particular tournament, while I'm still going to vote for Mark, I see even more than when we did our list, because it's fans voting, that Zach Randolph's going to win. And I think my bold prediction here, Sean, might be that, you know, Mark will, you know, barely beat Mike more than likely. I can see that being a 55-45 kind of thing. You know, Zach could maybe win 70-30 or something against Tony. I could see Zach blowing the doors off of Mark. I could see Zach blowing him out more than he beat Tony by. Because even though Mark is a superior basketball player, the love and the passion that the fan base has for Zach Randolph, it's not even close when it comes to Mark Gasol. Like you said, I believe you said earlier in the show here, you know, if Zach is the number one in terms of fan love, Mark is probably number four. Yeah. And the fans are not going to view the on-court accolades as highly as they are the way that the player made them feel. And that, that shouldn't be degraded. Everybody's fan experience is different. So I think in this particular instance, I could see Zach beating Mark at, to be named our greatest Grizzly in this tournament by a larger margin than he beat Tony Allen in the Final Four. And I think that you're exactly correct. And, and and if you look at it all three ways, you know, off the court, Zach's right there with Tony. On the court, yeah, Mark's the better player, but Zach is, you know, has a valid case to at least be in the argument. And the third thing that I kind of think supports Zach is like you hit the nail on the head. He embodies Memphis so much. And and and, and when he came to the Grizzlies, you know, um, you know, there was you know probably a negative perspective about him in NBA circles. Some of it warranted, obviously. But then he comes here, he doesn't apologize for how he plays, he takes pride in what he does, and he proves that by doing it his own way, he can be exceptional and can be very, very good and can lead a franchise to being a consistent playoff contender. And that's what he did, along with Mark and the rest of them. But just the way Zach did it, I think is something that Memphis fans can relate to, and that's why I think I agree with you. Um, He'll emerge as the greatest Grizzly. So if that's the case, Joe, and just a few more minutes here with you, um, we've got our top ten now. It seems we we've got we've got Jaron and then Jaw. Jaron at ten, Jaw at nine. Going with your rankings, I believe it was Mike Miller at eight, Shane Battier at seven, Rudy Gay at five, Pal Gasol or Rudy Gay at six, Pal Gasol at five, and then Tony, Mike, Mark, and Zach. So that top ten for for the Grizzlies. What are your initial thoughts when you see that on paper? Do, do you think the fans? Got it pretty accurate. Is there any just straightforward, just awful, um, you know, paper changes you would make on the spot, or do you think it's a, it's a pretty good list to go by? Again, I wish I could take more umbrage with the fact that they they put John Morant number nine and he's only played <laughs> sixty or so games. 
I wish I could be more angry at them about that than I can be, but I understand the logic. Uh, to me, it's almost perfect. Like I said, I would have Mark number one, but I'm not going to argue with Zach number one. I think that makes total sense. I think Mark is a pretty solid number two. I think Mike is a pretty solid number three. If you're going by pure basketball ability and skill, I, I think you put Powell and even Rudy ahead of Tony Allen, potentially. But again, you're factoring in the community aspect of it and the love the city has for Tony Allen. So I think Tony makes sense at four. You could argue Rudy and Powell, but I think Powell is the best player on the Grizzlies for a substantial period of time. Rudy was never the best player on the Grizzlies any, at any point that he was in Memphis, at least not in my opinion. So I would probably say Rudy belongs at six. And then, like I mentioned earlier, Mike Miller and Shane Battier, you could probably debate, uh, and, and I wouldn't be too angry with you which way you went. And then that would put you at, you know, you're looking at the situation with John Jaron, and I think John is definitely in front of Jaron at this stage because of the, again, the connection to the city, the accolades. There was almost universal excitement about John coming to Memphis. It was not that way for Jaron, not entirely Jaron's fault uh, at the time, but the, the reaction to John being drafted was better than the reaction to Jaron. Obviously, Jaron has proven those that doubted him wrong to this stage, myself included. Uh, but my point is, Jaw was universally, almost universally accepted from the beginning. So I think Jaron 9 and Jaron 10, uh, given where we're at in the history of the franchise, I think it's a pretty solid list. And again, it's a credit to the way you guys bracketed it and developed the tournament. You put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And, and I think it shows that you know, give or take a, a spot here or there, I think it's a pretty solid top 10 of not just, you know, the past of the Grizzlies, but also the president's future as well. Gotcha. Well, and, and that's why, Joe, we certainly wanted to get your voice on here for, for someone that a lot of folks follow. And, you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, have respect for, we wanted to get your perspective on it. Um, you know, I, you know, we constantly want to make sure that we obviously are uh, plugging, you know, the, the avenues that, that, that you know, we are fortunate enough to be a part of through SBN Grizzlies and, you know, Grizzly Bear Blues. But just, you know, where the, obviously people know you're Joe Mullinax on Twitter. What other things do you have going on uh, right now through Grizzly Bear Blues, through Grizzly Bear Blues Live you know, that you'd like folks to know about and listen into? Sure. Well, uh, obviously things have slowed down a little bit given the suspension. And you guys have done a remarkable job kind of picking up the slack. And to be honest with you, it's allowed for me to kind of step back a little bit and take some family time, which I've needed to do. You know, I've, I've transformed from my day job of a teacher and football coach to a um, preschool teacher now uh, for my, my four and a half year old and one and a half year old uh, here at home. So um, I'm still writing. I have a uh, part two of my Grizzlies wish list coming out here on Monday. You know, I'm going to take a look at some other guys that maybe are a bit unrealistic, but if I had my way, uh, I would do my best to acquire them. And I, discuss what my peak offer would be uh, for their services. So that'll be coming out. I know that we have some other great pieces coming out from folks like you and, and other writers over at the blog. There's still going to be content almost every day that folks can check out over at GBB. And obviously the podcasts are a great example of that. Uh, Parker Fleming is doing a great series called Revisionist Grizzly, uh, which I'll be a part of this week, uh, talking about the Rodney Hood versus Jordan Adams debate which I'm still passionate about. I probably shouldn't be, uh, but still passionate about. Um, so we have a lot of good stuff going on over at GBB. I'm proud of our staff. You know, this season, obviously, and the, the times that we live in are not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, instead of kind of wallowing in self-pity and, and feeling bad for ourselves that the Grizzlies are gone for now, uh, we've pick, we picked ourselves up a little bit and we're, we're still 
putting out content for the folks to check out on the Memphis Grizzlies. So I'm, I'm appreciative to folks like you and Justin and, and everybody else over that's on our staff. You guys are doing great work and uh, continue to look for that from myself and all of us over at GBB in the weeks to come. And that's the reason why, you know, we, we, we enjoy doing it. it, it it's a, like a family over at GBB. Um, there, there's a lot of good content, a lot of good conversations amongst ourselves. And that's obviously why uh, we enjoy, you know, not only putting it out there for folks to discuss and things like that, but just, you know, the passion within that group that's there as well uh, that we get to enjoy with fans. Joe, thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind just staying for a few minutes after we're done, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Sure, not a problem, Sean. Happy to do it. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you so much, folks. You can follow me on Twitter at StatsSAC, Justin Lewis at J underscore Timberfake underscore. He'll likely be back with us next week. And then obviously you can follow us on Twitter at the 3ND podcast at 3ND pod. For Joe Molinax, my name is Sean Coleman. Thanks for so much for joining us. And let's see once and for all who is the greatest grizzly of them all. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye-bye. the right tools for success. A painter needs their perfect brushes, and a climber needs to be able to rely on their harness. And for your work, you need to stay connected. With Slack, teams can help you work better. Slack is a productivity platform that connects all your team members together instantly. It's built to help your team with a host of features like huddles for quick check-ins and clips for recording and sharing video. Slack also makes it easy to search and find the right information you need. You can even integrate the apps you use in your normal workflow, like your calendar or product management tools, so you stay focused on the work that matters and get more done. Learn more at slack.com slash productivity.